want to say thank you. We declare that you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Thank you for your presence in our midst. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Good afternoon, Ignite Church. Okay. Is anybody excited to be in the presence of God this afternoon? Yeah. The Bible says that where, it says, keep your eyes focused on Christ. Because that's, because where the Christ is, that's where the action is. So you are in the presence of God this afternoon and you are in the right place. Um, so before we get in, um, I just want to thank um, PWA, PTA, our lovely parents. Um, they're so, so amazing. Can we just give it up to them? You know, they pour into us. Sunday after Sunday, even during the week, many things that we see, but even more that we do not see. So I'm personally very grateful for them. It's such a privilege for me to speak to global leaders this afternoon. I am very excited um, because every time that the word of God is shared, lives are being transformed. You know, the, the word of God does not leave anybody static. It pushes us, it moves us forward. So I'm super excited um, at what God has to say this afternoon. So before we go in, let us say um, a word of prayer. So my Father and my God, I thank you. I thank you so much um, for today, July 31st. The last day in the month of July, leading us, oh God, Father, into the eighth month of the year, in number eight, which signifies new beginnings. My God, I'm grateful. Holy Spirit, I ask in the name of Jesus that you will speak through me. I ask, oh Holy Spirit, that the word, oh God, Father, that you have for each and every person, including myself, Holy Spirit, that she will speak in the mighty name of Jesus. And that Lord, oh God, Father, we will be empowered to move into our new beginnings in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. So um, I have to start with an apology. So uh, um, I shared the word to, not last Sunday, the Sunday before, July 17th, and I just made an assumption. Um, I did not say my name. So my name is Coco. Um, for those that don't know me, um, I have been a member of the House of, of, the House of Praise and Ignite for a minute. And um, this place is such an awesome place. Um, the word of God is very, very here. Um, and it is tangible in the lives of all the people that you see around us. You know, here we are global leaders. And I am excited. And I just want to let you know that you are in the midst of global leaders. So don't just, you know, size up the person next to you because there is destiny all around you. So I want us to just be cognizant of that. So today we're going to talk about the benefits of worship. Um, like I mentioned two weeks ago, we spoke about um, true worship. And, you know, we experienced explored um, the story of um, the Samaritan woman in the book of John chapter 4. And, um, you know, as the Holy Spirit took us through the story, we saw the misconception that she had about worship. Um, we were able to kind of do a, deep, a deeper dive in what it means to be a true worshiper. But the message, again, the message is on YouTube, so feel free to avail yourself of it. But today, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at the benefit of worship, you know, why should we even do it? What's in 
it for us? I mean, worship, worship, worship. Why do we have to do it? Um, the choir sang a song, here's my worship, all of my worship, but I mean, why? Why do we have to do it? So as we explore some of the benefits of worship, please be reminded that the list that I'm going to share with us is not exhaustive. There's way many more benefits, but just for the, for the context of our time, I'm going to share a couple with us. So before we dive in, I just want to mention that it's important to note that everything that God tells us to do is primarily to benefit us. It's not really for him. I mean, think about it. God is in heaven. Heaven, the streets are made up of gold. Everything is Gucci in heaven. So we need the instruction that God has for us. So just have that at the back of your mind, you know, as we're going um, through the teaching today. So like I mentioned, the first benefit of worshiping God, and I have to say worshiping God, because if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. We're all worshiping something. It's either God or it's something else. But for the purpose of our conversation, we're going to talk about worshiping God, the benefits of worshiping God. So... Um, one of the benefits is that it invites the presence of God. Psalm 22, verse 3, and I read from the TPT, it says, Yet I know that you are most holy. You are God enthroned, the praise of Israel. The amplified classic of that verse says, You dwell in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. So one sure way to get the presence of God is in the air, is in the place of worship. It is in the place of submitting ourselves to the authority of God by worshiping his name. And, you know, when you do that, God has no choice but to come and make his place of abode in your worship. So when God comes like that, you know, the whole presence of God coming into your worship, what happens is that everything that makes God, God becomes available to you. So somebody might be asking, okay, so what's the big deal? Like the presence of God, okay, like you mentioned that, you know, everything, some things, everything that makes God, you know, becomes available to the worshiper. So what are some of those things? So I'm just going to give you three again for the, because of our time. The first thing is that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 in the TPT says, because of you, and I read in the TPT, because of you, I know that the path of life, I know the path of life, as I taste the fullness of joy in your presence, at your right side, I experience divine pleasures forevermore. Now, I want to mention that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy is an attribute or a fruit or a manifestation of the spirit. Um, you know, the, the Bible tells in the book of Galatians that there's the, that there's the, the fruits of the spirit. So joy happens to be one of them. And the good thing with joy is that it is intrinsic. So irrespective of what is going outside, your internal, your internal balance is kept stable. That's the beauty of joy. You know, it's inner strength powered by the Holy Spirit. Joy empowers you to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. satisfaction. Why? Because you know that God will use the experiences that you're going through to achieve what is good for you. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 that God, I love the TPT, I think it's TPT or message, it says God uses everything that happens to us, with us, through us to bring out something good out of it. And that is joy for you. You know, when you have joy, you're not worried. I mean, not 
to say that things are rosy, but your internal balance is stable. You know, when people see you, they're not able to know, okay, is everything rosy, is everything not rosy, because you're just stable. Because the Bible says wisdom will be the stability of our time, and wisdom is God. So that's one of the things that, you know, this joy brings. So, um, and also in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, and I read in the Amplified, it says, you're not worried. Why? Because the joy of the Lord, because the joy of the Lord, which you get from worshiping him, is your strength. So that's one of the benefits of, you know, of the presence of God that is ushered through worship. The second one is honor. Um, Psalm 97, verse 7 in the TPT, um, it says, shame covers all who boast in other gods, for they worship idols. For all the supernatural powers once worshiped the true living God. So instead of shame that is typically associated with those who worship idols, in accordance with Psalm 97 verse 7 that we just read, those who worship God enjoy honor. And it's from the scriptures in Isaiah 61 verse 7 that says, instead of shame, you will have double honor. The third, the third one is favor. Favor that distinguishes or sets you apart from everybody else. In Exodus uh, 33, you know, Moses was, Moses was speaking to God and he, and he was telling God, listen, you know, I need your favor. You know, we're about, to, we're about to leave this place, but we need you to be there. We, we don't just want a word from you. And the Bible tells us, and I read from Ex, um, Exodus 33, verse 14 to 16, and it says, And the Lord says, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest by bringing you to the by bringing you and the people into the promised land and Moses said to him if your presence does not go with me do not lead us up there so Moses was basically telling God okay you know what I see that there's promotion ahead of me but your presence is more critical to me than the position than the promotion if you don't go with me I'm not interested and then he goes on to say in verse 16, for how then can it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight? Is it not by your going with us so that we are distinguished, your people and I, from all the other people on the face of the earth? So what worshiping God does is that you know, it causes the favor of God to rest upon you. That causes you to be distinguished or to be promoted or to be set apart from all, from all other people because the forces of heaven are literally backing you up. And, you know, we see it in Psalm 75, verse 6 to 7, and that's from the TPT. It says, the favor that brings about promotion, because promotion is not, oh, you know, people just get promoted, no. It's favor, it's the power of God, it's the presence of God. And it says, this I know, the favor that brings promotion and power, it doesn't come from anywhere on earth. So your promotion is not in the hands of your manager. It is in the hands of God. Because the scripture tells us that the favor that brings promotion and power does not come from anywhere on earth. For no one exalts a person but God, who is the true judge of all. He alone determines where favor rests. He anoints one for greatness and brings another down to his knees. So when, you, so when you worship God, promotion actually starts to look for you. You no longer look for it. 
And I think that's the beauty of, you know, being, of, of having the presence of God because the things that people run after, you no longer run after it because it, it's, it's, attracted, it, it, it's attracted to you because of the presence of God. So, again, when we worship God, we enjoy favor for strategic positioning that is all engineered by the presence of God. So there's no need to, you know, to be plotting and be planning and be, you know, trying to, trying to maneuver things on your own. God just does it for you because you're consistent in the place of worship. And I spoke about strategic positioning and a word is enough for the wise. Amen. All right, benefits, the second benefits of um, worshiping God is that it activates the supernatural help from heaven. You know, the Bible says that the help of man, it's limited. And fundamentally because us as human beings, we're limited. And, you know, the way we are formed, um, you know, typically it's, we will not elevate somebody ahead of ourselves. But it's only God that can really lift up the poor from the dust and he cause, him to, cause the person to sit among the princes of his people because he has that power. So there, again, there are many ways that supernatural help would manifest. Um, you know, two of the ways that I want to mention is in the area of victory um, against attack and healing. So throughout the scripture, um, we see how worship is being used um, as a weapon of war um, in victory against the enemy. So one of the examples is in the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 from verses 1 to 23. So I'll give you a bit of a preamble to the story. So in this story, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, um, you know, he was facing an ambush. Three different empires were coming after, um, after his kingdom. So these were the Moabites, the Amorites, the Meunites. Now, let me contextualize it. So just think about it. One day, you know, Somebody gets fired in the same day, they hear bad news from home, and then, you know, they get home, and they realize that, oh, they left their keys in the house, and then they have to call, um, I don't know, the, how do you call it, blacksmiths or whatever they call it, to come and open the door, an extra charge that they did not budget for. So those are the Moabites, the Amorites, and the Meonites coming um, for the person. So what these three nations did is that they form a coalition to be able to attack um, Jehoshaphat. So the moment Jehoshaphat heard that, okay, this is what is happening, what he did was that um, he immediately called for a time of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting for everyone in Judah to seek the help of God. So, you know, after Jehoshaphat prayed, prayed with the people, asked, asking God, you know, to help him, to help, the, to help, the, to help their kingdom. Because obviously, and it's interesting because he actually says it um, in 2 Chronicles 20. He said, you know, we're not able to fight this army. Is there too, they're too much for us. We don't have power to be able to do it. And as true, you know, um, in response to that, to that prayer... The Bible says in verse 18, and I read in the CEV, Jehoshaphat bowed low to the ground and everyone worshipped the Lord. And as true as the word of God was to them, they didn't even have to fight the battle at all. Like they didn't even have to do anything. They didn't even have to break a stride. Their manicure was intact. They did not have to do 
anything at all. As they worshiped God, God stepped into the scene and took over the battle. And the Bible tells us in verses 22 and 24, and I read in the CEV, as soon as they began singing, the Lord confused the enemy's camp so that the Ammonites and the Moabites troops attacked and completely destroyed those from Edom. Then they turned against each other and fought until the entire camp was wiped out. When Judah's army reached the tower that overlooked the, de the desert, they saw that every soldier in the enemy's army was lying dead on the ground. That is how Jehoshaphat and his people experienced resounding victory without even going into the battlefield. And that's what the power of worship will do for you. Another way that like I mentioned um, that supernatural help is triggered in the place of worship is in the area of healing. Um, Matthew 8 verse 1 to 3, the Bible tells us... Um, it tells us about the story of a leopard. And, you know, this story is a bit unique. And for us to really appreciate um, the story, we need to kind of understand, okay, what leprosy really is and the implications of leprosy in biblical times. So in biblical times, so first of all, leprosy is an infectious, um, is an infectious skin disease that it damages the skin and then it eventually damages your nervous system. And in biblical time, when somebody had leprosy, they were literally ostracized or they were rejected or separated from society. And as a result of that, obviously they couldn't work, they couldn't come into contact with people and their socialization of course was affected and everything that comes with socializing. So, you know, the story then tells us that, um, that this leopard man, and the, again, because of how leprosy was so bad, the Bible doesn't even tell us his name. They just said the leopard. So the Bible tells us in um, Matthew 8, verse 2 in the TPT, and it says, Suddenly, a leopard walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship and said, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. So this story is interesting because the Bible tells us that there was, a, there was a massive crowd that was following Jesus. So it's not like, you know, it was just Jesus standing alone and this leopard man was just there. So there was a huge crowd. So you can just picture, you know, the, the level of energy that went into going, going, you know, in the midst of the crowd, worshiping God. And, you know, people looking and like, ah, what are you doing? This is your worship. Like, Nobody even wants to associate with nobody even wants to associate with him. But this man knew that his worship was all he had. And he also knew that that's all God needed. So there he is worshiping God. And the Bible then tells us that it caught Jesus' attention. Um, and in, in Matthew 8, verse 3 in the TPT, the Bible says, Jesus reached out his hand touched the leopard and said, of course, I want to heal you. Be healed. And instantly, all signs of leprosy completely disappeared. So in a twinkle of an eye, this is a man that's reject of society. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. And now he's now the most sought, off, sought after man in town as a result of the supernatural help that is deployed in the place of worship. Now, the third, um, 
The third benefit of worship is that it brings increase. Um, you know, Psalm 67, verse 5 to 7 in TPT, it says, No wonder the people praise you. Let all the people praise you more. The harvest of the earth is here. Amen? The harvest of the earth is here. God, the very God we worship, keeps us satisfied at his banquet of blessings and the blessing keep coming. All the ends of the earth will give him the honor he deserves and be in awe of him. So when we worship God, it secures us a spot. It secures us a seat at his banquet of blessing. It ensures that, you know, when we worship, God ensures that there is a constant flow of his blessing coming towards us. And, you know, the worship, you know, when we, when we talk about harvest, you know, we're talking about farming and putting nutrients into the soil to ensure that, you know, what we've planted comes to fruition. So what worship does is that it adds those nutrients to the good seed that we have sown. And, you know, with time, we're able to experience a bountiful harvest, which, which manifests in resounding testimonies. So as a church... I mentioned praying and fasting before. So as a church, we're currently praying and fasting. This is a season, you know, the theme of the fast for those that are, that are joining us for the first time is um, title higher grounds. I definitely will encourage you to join. You know, every time um, God calls a collective fast is because he's trying to position us to be able to receive from him. So it's not because God hates us or, you know, it's, it's not a hunger strike, neither is it a diet, okay? We're praying, we're fasting, we're reading the Bible. When, um, right now we're reading the books of Matthew and of Proverbs. So one chapter um, every day. Today happens to be day 21. So we're entering the last stretch um, you know, of, of the fast. So please, I encourage you, you know, make sure you key in, you know, don't be, don't just be Lucas, don't just be, you know, okay, you hear it here, then it comes off the other ear. Make sure that you key in into this last, last week, because let me tell you, we are in a season of increase. We are in a season of increase. And, you know, I personally don't want anyone of us to miss out on anything because God definitely has increased already concluded with our names on it, but it requires our participation to bring that to manifestation. All right, so the fourth benefit um, of worship is that your thinking faculties operate at maximum, like maximum level when you worship. And it's it's, it's such a mystery. Um, you know, one thing that, for example, when I, especially when I'm, when I'm working on something and I realize that, okay, I'm facing a roadblock and ideas are not just flowing. When I worship, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing what happens. It's like all of a sudden you have this inflow of ideas that just, like, you're able to just see different things all over the place. I, yeah, this particular one is one that I have personally experienced and I can definitely vouch for it. But because, again, let's use scripture as our base. Um, in Daniel chapter 4, you know, we read about the story of um, King Nebuchadnezzar. So the Bible tells us that everything was going well for King Nebuchadnezzar. He was prospering. You know, he had a lot of servants. You know, everything was just going well for him. 
But all of a sudden, something happened to him. So his prosperity got to his mind and he became proud. And that attracted the wrath of God. So one day, he had a dream, which he was having troubles interpreting because he was like, okay, he, and he was recounting the dream and he was like, I'm not really understanding what is going on. So he called up Daniel or Belteshazzar um, in, in Daniel chapter four, who the Bible said had an excellent spirit. He had the spirit of God. He was a child of God. And one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in his life was that he had the ability to interpret dreams. So he could take complex scenarios and just simplify it and find the mysteries as to what God was saying. So the Bible tells us um, in um, Daniel chapter 4, and I read verse 24 and 25 in the Amplified, um, Amplified Classic version, um, and this is Daniel speaking to the king, and it says, this is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the most high God, which has come upon my Lord, the king. You shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the fields. You shall be made to eat grass as do the oxen and you shall be wet with the dew of, of the heavens. And seven times or years shall pass over until you learn and know and recognize that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and he gives it to whomever he wills. So what had happened here was that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten that the power and, you know, the prosperity that he was enjoying, it was coming from God. Because the Bible tells us in the book of John that no one can receive anything that is good if it's not given to you by God. In fact, how the message translation puts it is, it's impossible for a person to succeed. I'm talking about eternal success without heaven's help. So he had completely forgotten that, you know, the mere fact that he was on the king was because the king of kings had made him king. He had forgotten that the power that he was enjoying, it was just delegated power because the only person that has inherent power, the custodian of power is God. So, you know, he got lost, like we say, lost in the sauce. And as a result of that, you know, the Bible tells us that his mind was taken away from him. You know, can you imagine a king, you know, enjoying servants, you know, lavish food, banquet halls, long tables, um, all the, the, the pageantry of success, all of a sudden is reduced to an animal because of pride. And, you know, and, and then, then the Bible tells us that it took him seven years to learn his lesson. Seven entire years to learn that it was God that was the one in command and that unless he submitted, he would not, he would remain an animal. And mind you, you know, the Bible says that God already had plans for Nebuchadnezzar to be king. So it's not like, you know, the script changed. The script did not change. He just did not align himself with the principles of the kingdom to ensure that the script of heaven for his life continued to be played. So then the Bible tells us, Daniel um, chapter 4, and I read from uh, verse 34 to 37 in the Amplified Classic, and it says, At the end of the days, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding and the right use of my mind 
returned to me. And then it says, and I bless the most high God and I praised and honor and glorified him who lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted, are counted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth and none can stand his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Nobody can tell God what is he doing. Now, at the same time, my reason and my understanding re return to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor return to me and my counselors and my Lord sought me. I was reestablished in my kingdom and still more greatness than before was added to me. So, you know, it was in the place of worship that, you know, looking to God, because he said, I, I looked up to the heaven and my understanding and the right use of my mind. So he goes to say that, you know, people that don't worship God, their heads are not correct. You would agree with me from scripture, right? That it's not me. Fights with scripture, right? Because... He failed to do what was required of him. And, you know, and, that, and he was cut off from society completely. I mean, I think for us it's a bit hard to understand, but how I, how I see it is that, like, you know, you're all the way here and you just fall, like, not even to ground zero, like, under the ground. Because, I mean, to be reduced to an animal, I mean, the brain of an animal is, like, small. Like, if somebody tells you you act like an animal, like, it's an insult, Right? But they were, he was reduced to the brain of an animal. And, and like I said, Jesus, you know, God's destiny for Nebuchadnezzar, it hadn't changed. Because, you know, the moment that he repented, and repentance means what? It means to turn around. It means to redirect. It means to have a change of mind because of revelation that comes in that, that empowers you to take the right step. So the moment he looked up to heaven, instead of looking at, his, at, his, at himself as the source, everything went back into place. And, you know, that's the strategy of Satan, pride. Um, you know, the delusion of pride um, to make us forget the faithfulness of God, especially when there's so much things going on. You know, as, as human beings, our, you know, unless, you know, your mind has been retrained to think Jesus first, our nature is to just want to take matters into our own hands. You know, our nature is just to, you know, to just do things on ourselves, you know, and the Bible tells us in Psalm 14, verse 1, that only fools say in their hearts, there's no God. So it's only people that are not in their right mind that say that there is no God. You know, and, and God cannot stomach arrogance. He can't stomach pride. You know, um, in, in um, Proverbs 16, verse 5, it says, God cannot stomach arrogance or pretense. Believe me, he'll put those braggarts in their place. You know, we don't want to, when it comes to the principles of God, because, you know, life is not governed by miracles. It's governed by principles. And the moment that we step outside of the principles, in, unconsciously and maybe unwillingly, you know, we've already chosen the consequence. 
Because when we, when, we when we make decisions, we don't choose the consequences. The moment you make the decision, it comes as a package with the consequences. You know, so, so the same way how, you know, worship attracts the presence of God, pride attracts the wrath of God. You know, in the Aramaic, worship means to bow down or to surrender. And it takes humility to surrender. It takes humility to bow our heads down to God. Um, you know, and that's what worship does to us because when, you know, it, it helps us break our pride um, and arrogance. Because like I said, pride and arrogance, and arrogance, those are fruits of sin. You know, the same way we have the fruits of the spirit, pride and arrogance you know, it's, it's, it's a fruit of sin. And, by the, and the Bible says, by their fruits, you will know them. So that's one way to just know, you know, who is who, right? Because again, pride and arrogance are fruits of sin. So when we take the posture of worship, you know, when we're buying, bowing our head down, um, you know, when we're worshiping God, when we are kneeling down before him, acknowledging him as our source, when, 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 you know, when we, when we come into the place of worship and we're vulnerable, we're telling him, you know, there's no pretense, all, you know, makeup off and whatever, you know, crying, not crying because things are happening, not necessarily because of that, but because we're just in awe of the presence of God. What happens there is that it deals directly with our pride. And that's why a lot of people don't worship because we saw it um, two weeks ago, you know, the Bible said that God is seeking worshipers. So for God to be seeking worshipers, it means that there's not a lot of them. Because again, until your mind is, um, is transformed, your default will just be to take matters into your own hands. And that's why the Bible tells us, you know, that we should humble ourselves because it's in our interest to humble ourselves and not have God humble us. It's in our interest. Because you saw from the story in, um, of King Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel chapter 4 that he failed to humble himself. So God had to humble him. And it took him seven years. I mean, just think about it. Like a BA, a bachelor's degree is what, four years? If you now add master's, let's say two years. So that's like two whole degrees with some change there that he just, you know, gave up because of pride. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 11, and I read in the message translation, it says, Simpleton, simpletons only learn the hard way, but the wise learn by listening. You know, which leads me to my next point. You know, we don't, so we don't have praise and worship at the beginning of a service as a placeholder. It's not just because, you know, we don't know what we are doing. You know, okay, we, we need the service to be two hours. So, okay, what is, the message will probably take like 45 minutes. How do we fill up time? No. That's not the purpose of having praise and worship at the beginning. You know, it's what it does to us is that it conditions, it prepares our hearts to be able to receive from God. Because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, you know, some of the things in Scripture, especially when you just take, again, just our fleshy nature, it can be very tough to grasp, like even for me, like there's some things I'm just like, really God, like is that really what you're saying, right? But, it's, but it takes a heart of flesh, a heart that has been transformed, a surrendered heart that is malleable by God to be able to receive the instructions of God. So, so for example, you know, when we, so you know, when you, when we walk into, into service, like, 30 minutes, 45 minutes into the service. Like, that's pride, guys. 
Because basically what you've told God is, you know what, yeah, I'm, a, I'm just coming for the word. And you, trust me, you're not going to get much. Because what, what will happen is that everything God is telling you will just be bouncing off. Because your heart is not conditioned. The, the, the soil of your heart is not good. The Bible calls it in the book of Matthew, it says rocky, rocky soil. So that means that there's nothing, I mean rocky soil, there's nothing you will plant in rocky soil that will bring forth anything. And that's what worship does to us. And that's why, you know, we don't, we don't just worship God at the beginning of service just for worshiping's sake. It is very intentional. It is very, very intentional. So as I conclude, you know, worship is an issue of the heart fundamentally. Um, and Satan is very much aware of that. You know, um, the Bible says that we should not be ignorant. <laughs> Satan knows what he's doing. So it is in our interest to also know what we ought to be doing because if not, we will be ripped off from Satan. And Satan knows that, you know, worship at the, fund, at the core of it is our heart. And that's what he's after. Satan is after our hearts because the Bible says in um, Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, guard your heart for out of it flows the issue of your, of your life. Your heart is your life. So, the, so that's what Satan is after. He's after your heart. He's after, he's trying to just get your heart so that he can control your life. And that's why, you know, we have to surrender in the place of worship to God. Psalm 51 verse 16 to 17, and I read in the message translation, and it says, going through the motion doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. So worship softens your heart, you know. Um, in the kingdom of God, the change happens from the inside out. So what happens is that as you worship God, you know, your, your heart becomes softer. You know, it goes from being hard, stubborn, to being more malleable. You know, God can tell you, and you're like, oh, okay, okay, I'll obey. It's easier to obey God when, when you worship, when you have a lifestyle of worship. It's actually easier to obey God. So, you know, as our hearts are being transformed, you know, in the place of worship, our lives as well begins to transform. Because like I said, the change happens from the inside out. So, you know, when you start on day one, you know, you're just like, okay, you make up your mind, okay, you know, I'm going to start living a life that worships God. I'm going to cover our time, you know, every day, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, to just spend in, in offering my worship to God. So the first few, the first week or so, people might not notice, but you're traveling in the inside. Work is being done in the inside. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody will, somebody will say something or say, oh, you know what, I'm even struggling with this thing. And all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, you know what, let's say a word of prayer. And the person is like, oh, knew you who this, right? Because you've been traveling on the inside. So the things that matter to God, the things that God loves, like prayer, communion with him, you begin to just do it like second nature. And that's what happens the more we live a surrendered life to God. And like I said, Satan knows it, right? So that's why everything that has to do with God, like praying, fasting, reading our Bible, Satan will fight it. The moment you open your Bible, your phone rings, or you now remember, ah, let me just warm my breakfast real quick while I'm putting to it. Time flies, and then you're just like, yeah, 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 let me go and take, take, you know, take the, the bus or wherever to work. And that's how you've just, no time for God. 
Because what Satan does is that he engineers the whole thing to see to it that this Bible, you will not touch it. But he's defeated in the name of Jesus. So now that we know that, you know, because again, the Bible says that in all you're seeking, seek understanding. So now that you know, you know, some of the ways that Satan operates, you're now able to take charge and, and you know, and, and command Satan to move. So, so for example, now that you know that, when you want to read your Bible, in fact, the night before, you've already planned your time. Okay, I wake up 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever. The first thing I do, I don't touch my phone. I touch my Bible first. I read my Bible. You put, you put it, I don't know, airplane mode or whatever. You touch, who, whosoever is calling you at that time, it has to wait. Because you know that that is engineered by Satan. And you're able to now take charge. So... Today, you know, like I mentioned, your heart is your life and Satan is after. And I can tell you, a heart that is not in the hand of God is not safe. It's not safe. It's left to the wiles of Satan. It's left to his tactics. And, you know, I want personally to give an opportunity to someone today, you know, as, as we're rounding up, give your life to Christ. You know, when we talk about it, um, I know that it just sounds like, okay, give your life to Christ, what do you mean? Um, like I said, your life in your hands is not safe because you did not create yourself. Right? Or you did? No? Okay. So you did not create yourself. So it's only the manufacturer that really knows what are the things that will make the product tick. What are the things that will make the product work? And when it is not in the hands of the manufacturer, it's left to just anything. It's left to just anything. So it's so important, you know, as, as, and as we're talking about worship, that your position in Christ is secure. Now, it does not mean that, you know, every day will be rosy. No. I mean, on this side of eternity, it's not perfection, but it is progress. Because the Bible says that, you know, we go from glory to glory. So you're in one level of glory today. You know, okay, you missed the mark today. No problem. Holy Spirit, I missed the mark here. I'm so sorry. I'm struggling with this thing. I need you to help me. You keep moving. That is Christianity. That is relationship. It's not a, you know, come all put together. No, like, you cannot put yourself together. That's just the truth. You know, so I want us to just rise to our feet, um, you know, as we, as we, we're going to, we're going to take a song, but I, I want to give somebody the opportunity to turn the tides today, um, you know, and it starts with a decision, right? Like I said, things will not turn around in one day. It takes time, but it starts with a decision. It starts with you making up your mind that, you know what, God I want to do this thing with you. I need your help in it. Because the truth of the matter is that you cannot do God's will in your own power. It requires the power of God to be able to do God's will. So if today you want to give your life to Christ and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I want to go on this journey with God. Um, I know that he's going to have my back. I just want you to place your hand on your heart. And um, as I lead you in a prayer, 
And for those that are worshiping with us as well online, if you feel the tugging on your heart, you know, because again, there's a void in our hearts that is the size of God and God only. And it's only God that can fill up that, that can fill up that void. So if you're one of those people, just put your hands on your, put your hand on your heart and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I have lived my life for myself. I am sorry, I repent and I ask for, and I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you have died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. And I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give it to you. From this day forward, help me to live every day for you and in a way that pleases you. I love you, Lord, and I thank you that I will spend all eternity with you. Amen. Please, can we give it up to those that have given their lives to Christ? You're very welcome to, to our Father's kingdom. The view from here is really nice, I, I must admit you. The, the view from heaven is really, really nice. So as we wrap up, I just want us to take a song. Um, you know, it's, and it's more of a, I would say a bit of a prayer, to be honest with you. Um, and basically, the song says, you know, purify my heart. Let it be as gold. Right? I, I don't know. I, I know. I know some of you guys will know that song, but my brother is going to help me um, in that song. So, purify my heart. Let it be as cold. to you. 
we ask in the name of Jesus that you will come, O oh God, Father, Lord, and make, O oh God, Father, your place of abode in our hearts. That, Father, everything that we do, you know, everything that has our name on it will please you in the mighty name of Jesus. And, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will give us the grace to live a surrendered life to you, O oh God. Father, teach us, O oh God, Father, your ways. Show us your face, O oh God, that, Lord, we might remain in your presence all the days of our lives. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. God bless you guys. <laughs>